I'm Mark Harrison, Director of Publications at CFA Institute, and I'm joined today by Dr. Anil Garber, who is Chaired Professor of Risk Management at INSEAD. He's also the co-author of Dance with Chance, Making Luck Work for You, and is the author of numerous articles and papers. So welcome, uh, Dr. Garber. Thank you. Let's begin with some uh, definitions and boundaries of the science of decision-making. How is it developed? Um, how has it interacted, particularly with investment? Okay. Now, when we think of decision-making, uh, there, there have been traditionally two main approaches. One, what we call the normative approach, which is more about how should people make decisions. This has drawn mainly from traditions in economics, statistics, mathematics. These are all the rational models, and these have been developed very extensively and very well. In the last three to four decades, there's been a strong emergence of what we call the behavioral approach, which is less about how people should make decisions, it's more about how people actually make decisions. So drawing upon concepts from psychology, sociology, and so on. Um, so at NCID, we're actually trying to reconcile the two. Given what we've learned over the decades from the rational approach, given what we now know, from the descriptive approach in terms of how people actually make decisions, can we reconcile some of the paradoxical tensions between gut feel, quantitative reasoning, between the rational and the irrational, and so on. So broadly speaking, these, this is the history of the field. And there's a lot of focus now on this third approach, which is trying to reconcile differences between the rational and the behavioral approach. It's called the prescriptive approach. Where are the cracks which um, decisions decision makers may actually start to make mistakes, where the cracks where the mistakes can get through a decision making process. Now, so over the last three to four decades, the social sciences has highlighted a number of biases that we are susceptible to while making decisions and judgments, especially under risk and uncertainty. And the broad classes I mentioned today, one is this broad class of cognitive biases. Examples are, you know, we tend to get anchored, we are overconfident, meaning underestimate uncertainty, we have this availability bias, meaning we overreact to the most recent news, things like that. That's one bucket. Then you have another bucket which we could call, for example, emotional barriers. This is more about greed, fear, hope. So there are a number of biases there. There's yet another bu bucket which is more about how come we don't, don't learn over time. And one primary reason being this self-serving attribution. We tend to attribute good outcomes to good skill, bad outcomes to bad luck. So, so there's a long list uh, of these cracks uh, and uh, there's a lot of good work going on in terms of what one can do to avoid these or to minimize these. Most investors um, will have heard about Daniel Kahneman and his, the various behavioral theories. Um, so why do investment practitioners find it just so difficult to implement um, his theories in their investment practice? 
So that's strongly related to the third bucket that I just talked about. It's 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 our inability to learn from experience. Uh, like I said, we do a lot of self-serving attributions. This applies very strongly to the investment community or to the finance industry. You know, combined with this notion in human beings that this time it is different. This time I know what is going on. Okay, I messed up last time, but this time I know exactly what's going on. That's one of the main big hurdles. And uh, so we have to keep in mind that you can make a good decision, encounter a bad outcome, and vice versa. So have to make a distinction between a decision and an outcome. And uh, so focus also more on the process and not just on the outcome. And what can go uh, right and what can go wrong for a typical committee of multiple decision makers, such as um, an investment committee of a pension fund or uh, an endowment or foundation? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, there's a lot of work also being done in this area of individual ju judgment versus group judgment. Um, is group judgment always better than individual judgment? What should be the form of group judgment? Should it be based on simple averaging? Should it be based more on deliberation, some other process? So there's a lot of work there. And if you push me to the wall and said, ask me, you know, what is the most important thing? for a group judgment to work well, and if I had to answer in one word, I would say independence, meaning there should be independence of opinion. And without independence, group judgment is not going to work well. And there's a lot of work in this area, and we know quite a bit in terms of you know what works well when, what should be the form of group judgment, how can a group really create value and do better than the best individual in the group, when is it likely to fall into this trap of groupthink and not do well? But it's all uh, related to this notion of independence, which is absolutely critical for group judgment to work well. And if you were judging the way that um, investors use risk management uh, in their day-to-day -day practice, what grade would you give them and why? I think the biggest bias in risk management is this notion of overconfidence. Meaning our low guess is too high, high guess is too low. Meaning we don't have a good assessment of what our downside risk is and also what our potential upside benefit could be. Uh, and this is the big issue and this is a very strong tendency in human being and there's a lot of interesting work in this area in terms of how can you diffuse overconfidence in people. And, and I think the investment community has to try and get access to that and, and work at it more sincerely. What are some of the alternatives to probability theory um, which continues to underpin investment decision making to a great extent? No, so probability theory is useful. You know, the way I would frame it is like I mentioned in my talk, if you took, if you in a given situation, if you to think about the total uncertainty, you can segment it into two parts. One is what we call subway uncertainty component, which is easy to quantify, easy to model, and that's where this probability theory is very useful. It comes in handy. It helps you to systematically evaluate subway uncertainty. The other component is what we call coconut uncertainty, which is difficult, if not impossible, to model. So whatever you get from these models, 
for example, by using probability theory, you have to augment that uncertainty further but by overlaying it with some subjective judgments. And, and of course, that has to be done carefully and properly without falling into any of the cognitive biases. So the, the point is, it's not so much about probability theory versus psychology, math versus psych psychology and so on. It's about getting the best out of all, combining it and making sense of a given situation. Finally, is the effort to quantify and to model investment risk, um, or in fact any other risks, ill-conceived? Ill-conceived? Mm. So, of course, you know, we have to make that effort. We have to try and model and quantify what we can, keeping in mind that not all things can be modeled and quantified. So I come back to my same point again, that whatever you get out of models, whatever you get out of theories, it will convey a certain level of uncertainty. In real life, almost surely, the true uncertainty is much more than that. So you would have to get the output from these models and, and augment that uncertainty further. Well, thank you, Professor Garber, for talking to us today in Dubai. Thank you very much. And thank you, the viewers, for joining us in this episode of CFA Institute's Take 15 series. Copyright 2013 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.